It is so good to be with you, and thank you, Eva, thank you, Kate, thank you, Jonathan, everyone who has already shared and, and had a part in the service today. I mean, I could go home right now. My heart is full, um, but I also believe God has given me something to say to you, and I think he has something to say to me, and so we're not going to go home. <laughs> Some of you are sad about that, but uh, I hope you're doing well this morning. Um, if nothing else, at least you're here. Uh, I got to spend uh, uh, all day this, this week on Monday with my daughter as uh, she was out of school for Martin Luther King Day, and that was a joy. And then on Thursday, um, I had the privilege of going to listen to Tim Keller and Sinclair Ferguson and some other um, pastors, theologians, uh, at a winter conference put on by Redeemer Seminary. And so it was kind of a unique week for me, and, and God really just blessed me through both of those opportunities along with others throughout the week, and he's been stirring in my heart on um, what, what he has for us today in this, in this text, and I really believe that he has something for us today as we spend some time in the Word. I don't know if any of you are American Idol fans. Uh, Eva is. If, if, if you've ever seen the show in the first couple of weeks, it's kind of different than the rest of the season. And the reason why is they have all of the auditions, and many of the contestants that are on the show in those first couple weeks are not awful people, but they are awful singers. <laughs> and it's really entertaining. Like, it's really funny in kind of that, like, cringing, sad, funny kind of way. Um, what is blatantly clear, though, in those first couple of weeks is that many of these contestants have no business being on the show because they aren't singers, they don't sing well. And what is abundantly clear is that they are playing the wrong part. Now life hurts when we play the wrong part. It also hurts when we don't have a part to play. But I would suggest that it probably hurts most of all when the part that we have to play is lost or taken from us. My question for you this morning is, do you want a part to play that is good for you? One that you can play well? One that will never end, that cannot be taken from you? Thankfully, God offers us a part, the only part that is all of those things, that is good for us, that we can play well, and that can never be taken from us. And as we look at his word today, as we look at Jesus' words in Matthew, we're going to find out what that part is. So the questions that I want to wrestle with today are, what parts have we been given in God's story, and secondly, how do we play that part well? What part have we been given in God's story, and how do we play that part well? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, to help us answer those questions. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, and as you're turning there, there there's a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you if you need one. Um, as you're turning there, I want to just remind you, kind of orient us to where we are in Matthew's gospel, since we haven't been um, in this text uh, the past couple weeks. In verses uh, 2 through 12, 
Jesus, this is at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, probably his most famous sermon. Um, in verses 2 through 12, he talks about, he really paints a portrait of the kind of people who fill God's kingdom. And he, and he emphasizes the kind of character that kingdom people have in the first uh, few verses of this chapter. Now, in verses 13 through 16, where we're going to be today, he transitions to the responsibility that those kingdom people have. So after covering the character of the kingdom people, he, he moves into the responsibility of the kingdom people. And he talks about their role to play in society. And so we're going to pray real quick, and then we're going we're gonna to jump into this text. And uh, I'll ask you to stand with me uh, after I conclude our prayer as we read together. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a joy it is, what a delight it is to gather here with our brothers and sisters today and to sing songs to you, to worship you, to tune our heart to who you are and what you're doing in the world. We thank you that you're a God who is close to us, that has drawn near to us by your Son. We thank you that you're a God that gives us your Spirit, that you are with us always. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you would take the next few minutes and you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us receptive minds, receptive ears, and receptive hearts to what you have to say to us, because I believe that you really want to be with us and you really want to speak truth. You want to speak your love to us today. Help us to listen to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. So in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, we read this. This is Jesus speaking. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Thanks. Y'all can take a seat. So that first question that I, that I raised this morning is, what part have we been given in God's story? What part has God given us as followers of Christ? And in verse 12, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. What's really interesting here is, is here Jesus is giving us our responsibility as kingdom people, as, as, as being under the rule and reign of, of our Father God. And he starts our responsibility with a statement about who we are. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus doesn't just give us a new way to live. He gives us a new way to be. And the Bible teaches us, as you read all of it, you see that we as people don't just do broken things. We don't just commit sin. We are broken people. We are sinners. And so our problem is a heart problem, it's a being problem, and Jesus knows that. And so he starts out this responsibility with something about 
who we are as kingdom people, giving us this new way to be. He's more concerned with our character than our behavior because he wants to make us new. And those who are in the kingdom have been made new. Our new role is more about who we are than what we do, but it does have an implication on our behavior and what we do. Now, in in ancient Near Eastern culture, salt was primarily used as a preservative rather than something to give food flavor. So you can imagine, you know, 2,000 years ago, the refrigerator had not been invented, not even close, and so if they wanted to store and preserve meat, they had to do that other ways, and salt was the primary way that they did that. And so salt was also used as a healing agent for water. As we read, uh, Lori Grace read for us in that passage in 2 Kings, salt was also used to, to purify water. And as Jesus' disciples, why he calls us the salt of the earth is that he desires for us to be the ones who preserve the Father's kingdom, his rule and reign on the earth. God has chosen us to be the ones that he uses to heal our broken world. As followers of Jesus, we are the preservatives of God's rule and reign. As followers of Jesus, we are the preservatives of God's rule and reign. If you're following along on the back, on the outline, that's the, the first point. That is the answer to, the first part of the answer to our part in God's story. We are his preservatives, the preservatives of his rule and reign on the earth. Look down at verse 14 with me for the second half of that. It says, Jesus speaks again, or he's still speaking, he says, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Last fall, Eva led our women through a study of Jesus's seven I am statements. As our ladies who were a part of that will recall, Jesus made the statement, I am the light of the world during the celebration of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Now the Jews observed this feast to celebrate when God led the Israelites through the wilderness by being a cloud of, of uh, a pillar of clouds for them by day and a pillar of fire by night. And we actually covered that portion of the Exodus story this week in our men's study of the fire. So it's really interesting how God brings things together for us here in the different, different studies we have. So at the Feast of Booths, the, 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 the Israelites would come together to commemorate God being this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. And they would do that, one of the ways they would do that is they would light these large branch candlesticks called candelabra. And they would do that in the court of the women at the temple. And what's really interesting is that when Jesus in, in, uh, is it John 8, is that right? In John 8, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he was standing in the very place where these candelabra were. Now catch this. These candelabra are, are, are sign, signifying, they are representing the fact that God himself had led the Israelites by being a pillar of fire for them. Jesus comes and stands there and says, I'm the light of the world. What he's doing when he says that is he's saying, listen, I am God. I am the one who guides you. 
I am the one who leads you. I am the source of illumination and direction that this entire world needs. Now, when Jesus tells us, he, says, he uses the same language, but he now says instead of I am, he says, you are the light of the world. When he says that, he obviously doesn't mean that we're God or that we are the source of illumination for the world. But what he means is that because we are in him, we also bring light to the world. He has given us his light. While we don't have it in and of ourselves, we reflect his light. And the way I think of it is like this. The moon doesn't have light in itself. It reflects the light of the sun. We are like the moon to Jesus' light. We reflect his light to the world. As Jesus' disciples, we are the ones that he has chosen to show this world what his kingdom rule and reign looks like. He has chosen us to display and reveal what it looks like to be in a right relationship to God the Father, to live fully as we were created to live. He wants everything about us, every part of our life, to point people back to God. So as followers of Jesus, the second part of our part is that we are also the reflections of God's rule and reign. We are the reflections of God's rule and reign on the earth. That's the second part of our, our part that we've been given. So we are the preservatives, and we are also the reflections of God's rule and reign. That's our part in God's story. But the second question that I want to wrestle with today is how do we play that part well? I mean, how do we do that? How do we be that in a way that God is glorified? Look back at verse 13. So after saying, you are the salt of the earth, Jesus says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So he says, but if salt has lost its taste is what we read here. Um, it's kind of, there's a debate about how to translate that phrase, but most literally the way to, 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 uh, to translate that would be, but if salt is defiled, if it's ruined, if it's, if it's made um, useless. And so if you have an NIV, if you happen to be reading that this morning, what it says there is it says, but if salt has lost its saltiness, that's probably a better meaning for for this, this verse. I like the ESV a lot, and I think it gets it right most of the time. This is one time where I would go with the NIV. And so Jesus' point here is not that if we stop being f flavorful, but it's if we cease to be salty, if we lose our godly character as outlined in the Beatitudes, so go back and read through two, verse 2 through 12, if we stop being those things, we, if we're defiled, we will lose our preserving power on the earth. We will lose our influence in this world. So his point is this. If we're going to make a difference in the world, we have to be different than the world. If we're going to make a difference in the world, we have to be different 
than the world. Now, we can't lose our identity in Jesus. We can't cease to be salt. But we can lose our influence, our saltiness. And so we play our part well. The, 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 part, the thing that he's getting at is that if we're going to play this part of being a preservative well, we can't impede or infect our influence in the world. What I mean by that, when I say you can't impede, means you don't want to hinder that in any way, you don't want to slow it down, you don't want to make it less uh, progressive, and you don't want to infect it, you don't want to introduce something into your character, into your life that throws off what God's doing and, and who he's making you to be. And we could go into a lot of examples about that, but basically the point is if we cease to be like God, cease to say yes to him and the work that he wants to do in our lives by the Spirit, very soon after we start to lose our influence in this world. So the, second, the, the, the first answer to how do we play our part well of being preservatives of God's rule and reign is don't impede or infect your influence in the world. Let's look down at verse 14 to see the second, second half of, that ans- of, of the answer to the question, how do we play our part well? Verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And then he says this, he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So what is Jesus' point here? I mean, it's, it's pretty basic, it's pretty clear, but his point is that it makes no sense to take a light and hide it. It makes no sense to take a light and hide it. And so... It makes no sense for us to take what we've received from God, the blessing, the freedom, the hope, and to just keep it to ourselves and just go sit in the corner and not take it into the world that we live in and bring it everywhere we go. One of the main purposes that Jesus has given us his light is so that we would turn around and then give it to the world. We would reflect it to the world that we live in. At verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus desires for us, for you and for me, to be walking and living examples of him on this earth. The way, I like the way Martin Luther put it. I've probably said this before. I'll probably say it again, but he says, God's desire for us is that we would, we would be little Christ. We would be just people who exhibit his character, exhibit the kind of life that he lived. And why, why are we called to do this? Like it says there, so that, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God desires for every part of your life Every part of my life, when we're at home, when we're at school, when we're at work, and everywhere in between, to be lived in such a way that God, that He looks good. And what does that look like, though? I mean, how, how do we do that well? 
I think we do that by living with the very character that we see in the Beatitudes, God's character, and then doing the very things that we see God doing, most explicitly through the life of Christ. We do that by having the kind of character that God's outlined for us in the Beatitudes and then living the kind of life that Jesus lived. What does it look like? I think it looks like our lives being so marked by God's love that we're so full of his grace, so full of his mercy because we're drinking it in. Like Kate said, if you think of it, the imagery as roots, we're, we're you know, just drinking in all of that, the nutrients, the water that he gives us. And then everywhere we go, that same love, that same grace, that same mercy that we're receiving just spills out of us onto everybody that we do life with. So the second part of the answer to how do we play our part well of being the reflections of God's rule and reign on the earth is, is, is simple. I'm just using Jesus' words. Let your light shine bright in the world. Let your light shine bright in the world. So we've been given these, this, this part of being a preservative of God's rule and reign. We've been given this part of being a reflection of God's rule and reign. And we do that well by not impeding or infecting our preserving influence and by letting our light shine brightly. But there's one more question that I want to talk about today. And this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. What happens, what will happen when we actually do this? When you and I, when us as a church, as a group of believers, when we begin to play our part well together, what does God do? What does he do? I believe that when we play our part well together as a community, God shows up and starts doing supernatural things. Things that defy what we see on the earth. They defy logic and, and just basic thinking. Lives are changed. Neighborhoods are transformed. Cities are renewed. And the world is turned right side up. When we start to live and play this part that God's given us well, we start to love and we start to spend time with people who are different than us that we really have no interest in because of what they bring to us, but because of what God wants to do in their life. It means that we start to pour ourselves into people that we feel God leading us to pour ourselves into. And my guess is that if I were to ask everybody in this room who is a follower of Jesus, one of the main reasons why you follow him is probably because somebody reached into your life and poured his love into you and took the time to be a blessing to you. As I look around the room this morning, I could go through countless examples of those of you that I know a little bit of your story. And I know that there are, there are those of us in here today that God used in a powerful, powerful way. That's the kind of stuff that happens. People that are far from God are brought near to him, and their lives are literally changed forever. But it also changes not just for individuals. It starts changing on those other levels, like I said, at the neighborhood level, the city level, and the world 
when we're good, when we are good salt and light, we also start to serve our neighborhoods. And we start looking for ways to be a blessing. And as a result, we are a blessing, and people see that there's something about us that is different. And they begin to see that it is God that's working through us. Now, I know that there are, are many of us, I, I look, as I look around the room today, that also are doing this right now. That you're doing this in your neighborhood. You're a part of your neighborhood association. You're on a school board or a PTA um, thing for the local school in your neighborhood. Now, those things are exactly the kind of stuff that I believe God calls us to. It's not all this, like, you know, pie-in-the-sky spiritual stuff. It's, it's on-the-ground, being-a-good-neighbor kind of stuff. Under the umbrella of my goal in doing this is not just being a good neighbor. It doesn't stop there. But my goal in doing this is being a good neighbor so that people will come to Christ, so that they'll see his glory, that they'll see his beauty, and that they'll be drawn to him. When we serve in those capacities, when we're on the Neighborhood Association, when we're at the PTA, and we do it in a way that it's for God, God's glorified. When we are good salt and light, we also engage our city in such a way that we seek to give ourselves away rather than receive from it. And I know we have multiple women here in our community who are doing this in a way that I think is really neat. Um, Young Life, some of you are probably familiar with that ministry. It's a ministry, it's kind of like youth group on high school campuses with kids who are really far from the Lord and have no church background. We have one that meets over here in the Cook Building. Um, Young Life also has a branch of their ministry and it's called Young Lives. And what Young Lives does is they minister and love and, and do life with teen moms. Girls who are finding themselves pregnant in high school, primarily. And we have women in our church, multiple women in our church, who right now are loving and serving and giving themselves away to these girls who are in a really difficult time. And that's the exact kind of stuff that being salt and light is. It's just simply existing for the blessing of other people. And now the last, the last part of this that I want to talk about this morning is that when we're salt and light, when we, when we are good salt and light, we begin to see our neighbors across the world that don't know Jesus as not just a statistic, a fraction of this large number of millions, if not billions, yeah, billions of people or part of these 6,000 people groups. More than just those numbers, we start to see these people, these neighbors around the world as individual souls that are sheep that God wants to bring into his fold, that Christ is in search of, that he is looking for, that he wants to grab and bring near to him and be their savior. And what that looks like for us, that looks like being good salt and light in this arena, at the very least, it looks like starting to use our money and our time so that the gospel will go forth all around the globe. But as Jonathan said in his, in his prayer, or, or right before he prayed, 
I'm confident that in this room this morning, there's at least one or two of us who the answer to God's call in being salt and light for the world actually means that we go. It actually means that we obey to the point that we say yes and we leave. You know, because it's really interesting. Every time we hear sermons like this um, on missions and being salt and light in the world, every one of us, our default position is, yeah, God's talking to that person behind me. Yeah, he's, your words, I mean, they're kind of dodging so that, that you know, we just, we automatically think that it can't be us that he's speaking to. I think we would all do ourselves a, a, a really good service if we would stop and think about this text in a global context in such a way where we, where we go, God, are you calling me to that? Because let me tell you, it would be much better to ask that question and get a clear no than to not ask it and God be giving you a clear yes and you're just avoiding it, living in disobedience. And I'm not saying that everyone in this room he's telling to go. Don't hear me wrong. But I'm saying that there is also a chance that he is telling you to go. And it would be good to stop and at least ask, God, is that what you have for me? So don't hear me wrong. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying, just ask him. Just listen. And we've had a lot of people in our church over the years that have said yes to the voice of God. We have the Zavodnys who have been training this past year they're going to be back here soon. They may be here today. I'm looking around to see if they're here. Um, they're going to be back with us shortly. They've said yes. We have, I mean, this past summer, we had countless missionaries come up here and share the stories of what God is doing through them, people like the Woodards and others, who said yes. They were sitting on the pews with us a couple of years ago, and now they're in places like Europe and Asia and, and all around the world. When we're good salt and light, the gospel of Christ goes forth through us all around the world. But the, the answer to what happens when we play our parts well as good salt and light, if I were to, to, to kind of synthesize it into one statement, I would say this. Our city and our entire world are redeemed and restored to the glory of our Father our city and our world are redeemed and restored to the glory of our Father. That's what happens when we are good salt and light. These past few weeks, we've been on a, in a series kind of talking about our mission statement, talking about this process that we believe God's called us to. You know, I've, the, first, the first week of the series back, I think it was January 5th, I believe, um, we talked about our mission statement, that we are a community determined to see God's reputation increase both at home and abroad. And then after that, we talked about that we believe God has called us to be grounded in the faith, in the person and work of Christ. And then we talked about the week after that, that as we're grounded in him, he calls us to grow together. And that's the second part of the process. Today, what we've been talking about is that the next, the next part, as Kate talked about, kind of the end of that is that we reach the world, that we take all of the blessing that God's given us, all of the fruit of growing together, and we, we give it away. We pour it into our neighborhoods. We pour it across the world. 
When we started today, I asked you if you want, wanted to play a part that was good for you, that you could play well, and that would never end. That part is being a part of God's story, being a, re- a preservative and a reflection of his rule and reign, and that part is good for you. And as long as we stay grounded in Christ, we can play that part well. As long as we do this together in community, we can play that part well. And here's the beautiful thing about it. The reason why that part is the only one in all of existence that will never end is because that part and its shelf life doesn't really have one. (laughs) It's Existence is determined by the fact that it is in line with the king and the kingdom that are eternal. Because this part is tied to the risen, reigning King Jesus who is coming back and who will redeem everything, even the very earth that we walk on, that we are the preservatives of. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will reflect his glory forever. This is the only part that exists that will never end. Will you join me in playing your part as being a preservative and a reflection of God's rule and reign so that God's reputation would increase right here in Dallas and all around the world? Let's pray. God, it's pretty amazing to stop and think that you have chosen to use us in all of our brokenness, in all of our waywardness, our sinfulness. In spite of that, you choose to use us to be the ones who sinned your good news, who bring the light of your Son, who preserve your rule and reign on the earth. What an amazing privilege, what an amazing calling that you would entrust that to us. That's a tall order. But thankfully, you've given us your Son, and you've rooted us in him by his life, his death, and resurrection. And he has sent his Spirit, who indwells us, and is with us always so that we can even do this. Apart from him, we don't have a shot, but you've given us the Spirit. We have everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need to be good salt, to be good reflectors of light. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir this deep down in our bones, that this would not just be another week that we heard a talk, but that this would be the tipping point in our individual and collective story, that you would use this wonderful truth that you invite us into your story to change the way that we see everything. I pray that you would turn our selfishness on its head and that you would help us to walk a life that is focused on you and being a blessing to the world and this earth that you've placed us in. We need your help, but I'm confident 
that as we stay rooted in Jesus and as we do this together, that you will help us reach the world, beginning with our city, beginning with our neighborhood. God, would you go with us and lead us? And we pray this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen.